Support for Connecticut Public Radio comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to advancing options and providing hope for people living with cancer. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anise Chagpar and Stephen Gore. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about dealing with the psychological effects of a cancer diagnosis during the holidays with Dr. David Sells. Dr. Sells is an associate research scientist in psychiatry at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgery. Dr. Sells, maybe you can start off talking a little bit about yourself and about what you do. Okay. Well, I'm a clinical psychologist, and uh, in the past with respect to cancer, I've done research with respect to um, the benefits of peer services uh, for people who are, you know, undergoing the rigors of cancer diagnosis, uh, the illness itself, and, of course, treatment. And uh, one of those uh, areas was a project that I conducted in North Hartford uh, specifically for women who uh, didn't have much money um, and uh, were also uh, beset with... um, a diagnosis of cancer of one sort or the other. And, and so tell us more about that. Yeah, well, it was, it was a, remarkable, um, a remarkable group of people. Uh, and it was uh, a place called Gardner's House, um, which was a, uh, an organization that uh, provides peer services and consultation to, um, to people of uh, all ages and, you know, genders with respect to uh, cancer um, you know, guidance, how to deal uh, with it, and uh, providing support uh, to folks who are having difficulty with that. And uh, what I did was uh, a number of different uh, qualitative interviews with the people who were seeking services there. And uh, I, I'll just cut to the to the chase. The results suggested that there was a strong role for the the uh, importance of identity in um, in the wake of of everything that you deal with with respect to cancer, um, knowing who you are and making decisions and actions that are consistent with it. So tell me more about that, because I think that, you know, certainly when you're faced with the diagnosis of cancer, oftentimes my perception is that you're focused more on oh, my God, what just happened to me? How is this going to affect my kids? How is this going to affect my life? What am I going to do next? Am I going to die? Talk more about uh, what you mean by focusing on identity and and why that's important. Yeah, a world of questions, uh, you know, uh, comes upon you. Um, And uh, you have to address them all. They all have to be dealt with. Um, you know, ideally one at a time, but sometimes uh, multiple things have to be uh, addressed uh, at once. And the way that you have to go about that um, is, you know, as individual as uh, the person who is dealing with it. And um, knowing who you are, knowing what you can deal with at that moment and what you can't uh, helps you to navigate um, the... uh, um, obstacles and difficulties uh, that come up along the way. You know, specifically, um, you 
want to be able to incorporate the fact of the illness into your life in a way that doesn't overwhelm your identity, but uh, that problem becomes just a piece of it, a piece of who you are, because you have to do all the things with respect to treatment. Um, uh, but you have to do other things as well to maintain your reality of yourself. Do you find that that's difficult for patients to do? Oh, it can be quite difficult if you're doing it on your own because for the reasons you just mentioned, you know, everything sort of uh, falls upon you at once and, uh, you know, concern for yourself and well-being, concern for loved ones uh, in your life. It's a monumental challenge. And so what advice do you have for people in order to try to keep at least some sense of self as they're going through this? Well, you know, I mean, people are going to approach you or not um, uh, during this time. And, uh, you know, you have to know what to say yes to and what to say no to, what kind of support that you want, um, what kind of support you don't want. Uh, with the research in North Hartford, um, it was pretty clear that... Um, Peers, people who had been through this difficulty before and successfully navigated it, um, successful in the sense that they maintained a strong sense of identity and actually came through the experience with even a stronger sense of it, you could say. Um, they got it, you know, and, and, uh, and you could feel that they got it. And, um, and they could feel that you felt that they got it. And, you know, it's almost like an upward spiral in terms of um, feeling validated and cared for by somebody who gets it. And so, so if you have just been diagnosed with cancer and, you know, you're, you're kind of struggling with the whole paradigm of, you know, the new diagnosis and how this is going to affect your life and how this is going to affect your kids, what practical suggestions do you have in terms of you know, kind of trying to stay self-centered, uh, as you kind of mentioned, keeping this sense of identity. Because I think for some people, you know, your entire world has just been shattered, or so it seems. Um, so are there some practical tips that you would give patients uh, who may be struggling with this? Don't forget to do your thing. And your thing is whoever you are. Um whether you're into um, arts, whether you're into crafts, whether you're into to sports or <laughs> politics, whatever, whatever your thing is, don't forget to do it. Um, that keeps you centered. That keeps you remembering who you are. And ironically, it's one of the first things that people let go of. Mm -hmm. uh, and so... The other thing that you mentioned is that oftentimes, uh, you know, when people find out that you've just been diagnosed with cancer, many people will come up to you and, and you know, offer all kinds of things or not, or may wonder what they can offer. Uh, and you have to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. Can you talk a little bit more about two things? Number one, what should caregivers, friends, family who have a loved one who is facing a diagnosis, what should they be offering these patients? 
um, in order to be helpful? And two, as a patient, how do you know what things to say yes to and what things to say no to? Hmm. Well, the first one, um, you know, uh, potential caregivers, don't wait for them to ask. Do something for them that is based on what you know about them. So maybe they love Italian food. Make them a lasagna and bring it over. And, um, you know, talk to them about, you know, your shared interests. Ask them how they're doing. Don't be afraid to ask them how they're doing. And listen. Just listen. I mean, they, they know in terms of clinically there's not anything you can do, and that's okay. Don't be afraid to ask, and don't be afraid to take the initiative to do something directly for them without being asked. The second question, uh, having to do with, with the cancer patients. Yeah. Well, you know, when you, you said you should know what to say yes to and what to say no to, sometimes that's really, I think that it may be difficult to know what things you should say yes to and what things you should say no to, because on the one hand, sometimes you just want to be left alone. And sometimes you may need help, and sometimes you may not know that you need help, and sometimes you might need to ask for help, but you don't know how to ask for help. And then there are people who are going to be wanting to do stuff for you, but you don't really need that or want that, but then again, you don't want to hurt their feelings. Like, how do you navigate all of that? Because, I mean, on the one hand, it can seem just like another thing on your already overflowing plate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a lot of good points there. I mean, the, um, the person has to recognize that in their role in the patient, as a patient, they're going to be put into some ironic types of circumstances in which they're going to be caring for others who are kind of grieving for them. It's a very odd dynamic, um, but it happens all the time where the person who's offering support it kind of discloses that they sort of uh, feel inadequate and they don't know what to say and uh, and so forth and so on. And, and there's, you know, a certain honesty, um, uh, authenticity to that. But at the same time, it's also kind of putting the person who has just been beset with this uh, situation, you know, uh, in the role of caregiver. And that's not really what they need at that point. So as a patient... Uh, in your role as a patient, you have to be prepared to say no to interactions that you feel are going to be unhelpful to you when you need to shore up your energy and um, and face the unique set of circumstances um, that are confronting you. And, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of interactions between patients and caregivers, but... I'm also interested in your thoughts on people who don't necessarily have the support that they need. I mean, a lot of people are blessed to have family and friends who come with them to appointments, who can drive them to, you know, their doctor's visits, who can sit with them in the chemo room, who can help them to maintain some sort sense of normalcy, to maintain those activities that they like to do, doing their thing, as you say. But what about the patients who don't, who feel isolated and alone, um, who may not have those support systems? What advice do you have for them? Yeah, reach out. 
uh, oftentimes um, your physician uh, will know of programming uh, related to the hospital, peer-to-peer programming or um, support groups uh, that exist in the community and uh, can provide you a level of uh, care that uh, nobody else really could. Um, and, uh, and that's true for both people who have very little, you know, um, uh, putative social support and in their life through family and friends, but also through people who do have that kind of support in their life. Um, that programming is for everybody, and there's a level of understanding and depth of empathy uh, within that that is um, theirs to access. Some people have often wondered about um, the utility of peer-to-peer counseling and support groups just in the sense that everybody's cancers are different. And so you may have a very small, potentially curable uh, little cancer, and you go to a support group and somebody in the support group has terrible metastatic disease, hearing their story may only invoke more fear and anxiety in you, which may not be what you need. How do you navigate that and remembering that your cancer is unique to you? Um, How do you get the support you need while still maintaining a sense of individuality? Yeah, I mean, that's a wonderfully complex question. And, uh, you know, again, it, it comes down to the individual um, and because, you know, for some people, just the, you know, presence of, you know, I could say a relatively minor uh, cancer situation um, is, uh, is absolutely devastating. And then there are others who just by the nature of their personality and experience uh, in some ways are better equipped to deal with it. Um, so that you know, situation within a support group uh, could go either way, really. It could inspire you based on um, the strength that you perceive in this other person uh, and hearing their story and how they've been dealing with it, you know, hopefully effectively. Uh, or it could be terrifying. I know, absolutely, it could go either way. And if you're finding that one modality isn't working uh, for you, you don't have to do it. You know, you can try, you can try another uh, direction. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about handling the side effects of cancer during the holidays with my guest, Dr. Dave Sells. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, a biopharmaceutical business that is pushing the boundaries of science to deliver new cancer medicines. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about lung cancer. More than 85% of lung cancer diagnoses are related to smoking, and quitting even after decades of use can significantly reduce your risk of developing lung cancer. For lung cancer patients, clinical trials are currently underway to test innovative new treatments. Advances are being made by utilizing targeted therapies and immunotherapies. The BATTLE-2 trial aims to learn if a drug or combination of drugs based on personal biomarkers can help to control non-small cell lung cancer. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Dave Sells. 
we were talking about being diagnosed with cancer and how it really can turn some people's life upside down and and really the need to reach out and get support when you need it and also have time to uh, do your own thing and to maintain your sense of identity and individuality as you go through this battle, remembering that it's only one small part of your overall life. And the whole purpose of treating cancer is so that you can get on with your life. Now, Dr. Sells, we're approaching the holiday season, and it's a particularly hard time uh, for people diagnosed with cancer. You know, this is a time that a lot of people are out being festive and merry and gay, and you're faced with a devastating diagnosis. How do you put that together, and how do you kind of wrap your arms around that? Well, one of the ways of doing it is to embrace the power of no. Um, If you're not in that place where you're genuinely feeling festive and excited about the holidays, approach it a different way. And to do that, you know, you might have to say no, which is a very difficult thing to do. Almost nobody wants to say no to loved ones, especially people you're celebrating the holidays with, and especially to children. But the thing is, when you have a, you know, illness uh, like cancer, people get it, you know. You might have to pick the right time because uh, the holidays can be pretty jarring for just about everybody, and timing is key. But having a talk with them and telling them where you're at and what things you can and don't want to do and won't do during the holidays. And, you know, that'll help prepare the loved ones and that'll help prepare you. There's great power in being able to say no. And, uh, you know, particularly in this situation, it's a good idea to do that. But then won't you feel isolated while everybody else is getting together, families are getting together, you're facing your own mortality and, you know, might you feel more secluded more isolated, and might that make you feel more depressed? Well, it depends on who you are. I mean, if you are, you know, an introverted individual, you might be uh, more apt to enjoy uh, a certain solitude, even during the holidays. Uh, If you're somebody who's more extroverted, um, then, you know, there probably isn't as much of an issue as long as you're around people with whom you can share your reality with and have them accept it and still be festive if that's what you would would like to do. So, you know, if you are facing a, a diagnosis over the holidays, you know, there's a number of things that I can anticipate might be worrying some patients. So the first is how to talk to your family about it. Um, You know, you uh, may or may not feel and look uh, as good as you normally do. You may or may not have as much energy to take the kids to bargaining as you usually do. Um, But at the same time, um, you may be facing your own mortality and thinking this may be my last Christmas. Uh, with my loved ones. So how do you navigate that? How do you have that conversation with your loved ones? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, again, it, it really, it depends on who you are and they are and sort of anticipating the sort of right moment 
uh, and also what you want to say about yourself and what you are experiencing and expecting with respect to your mortality. Um, so again, kind of knowing these people in your life who are dear to you and knowing yourself, who hopefully is also dear to you, um, taking that all into account and, you know, maybe even being planful about uh, the moment, you know, in which you sort of talk about uh, your concerns about your mortality, that this might be your, you know, last uh, holiday and how you want to approach it uh, because chances are um, people want to accommodate you, want to help. Yeah. How do you talk to kids about cancer? Hmm. Great question. You know, kids, they see more and know more than any of us adults would like to acknowledge most of the time. And, uh, you know, with respect to cancer and issues of mortality, or let's just say death, they know something about it that we don't know they know. They see death all the time. They see animals who have died, um, bugs. Uh, they might catch a news program. Uh, and uh, they understand certain things uh, about death. They understand that the body stops working and you stop moving and so forth. And that's a way to uh, approach it with them. Um, uh, cancer you know, depending on the type that you have, um, a very difficult conversation uh, to have. And none of what I'm saying do I mean that the, any of this is easy. You know, it's hard enough in a person's own experience of uh, diagnosis, uh, illness, and uh, treatment um, to shore up the strength to let their loved ones uh, know where they're coming from, and their kids in particular. Um, but kids have more of a capacity for getting it than we give them credit for. And so, you know, how do you, in practical terms, um, talk to them about that? I mean, do you just outright come out and say, mommy's got cancer? Mm -hmm. Or do you have any practical tips? Because I would think that for a lot of patients, that's a difficult conversation to have, even if kids may know things that you don't give them credit for knowing. I can't imagine a more difficult conversation. Um, but at the same time, you know your kids better than anybody, just about. And um, you know when they're in a good place, a receptive place, um, a time that they're ready to hear and listen, um, perhaps better than they do. <laughs> and that could be bedtime, that could be early morning, that could be after they've played a sport outside or, um, you know, or really in the midst of playing a, a favorite game. Maybe it's cards. You could have the conversation then uh, so that if it's difficult for both of you, there's something else to engage and focus on. And that helps kind of move, move things forward uh, emotionally. Kids get cancer too. And for kids who have cancer, particularly around the holidays, that can be difficult. Um, they're not out playing with the other kids. Um, you know, Santa is usually coming down the chimney 
at houses where stockings are hung by the mantle, uh, and they've got their stockings hung in their hospital rooms. How do you as a parent help children with cancer over the holidays? Hmm. A remarkable question. I mean, the idea is to put it on, you know, put the event on wherever they are, uh, in some measure of a celebration and uh, rituals are possible. And, you know, we all know that consistency is deeply important in kids' lives. Um, so if you have uh, certain rituals that have been done at the home that are in the kids' memories, importing them to the hospital room, if that's where they are at the time, uh, can conjure up um, that sort of comforting environment and make them feel like they're participating, which, in fact, they are. What what other suggestions do you have, um, particularly around uh, the holiday time? You know, when people are in uncomfortable situations, you've got family coming in from all over the place, and, you know, you haven't made your traditional, you know, baked ham as you always do because it was just too much work this year because you felt too tired from your radiation treatment. And, you know, and they ask, well, why didn't, why, why isn't the baked ham here this year? How, how do you kind of navigate um, those kinds of conversations? Hmm. Well, Especially when you might not have seen these family members in a long time and, you know, kind of bringing up the conversation at the Christmas table might not be really what you're in the mood for. You just want... To relax and enjoy the holidays and not get into it. Yeah, yeah. You can. You don't have to. I don't imagine go into great deal, great detail, unless you have a particularly kind of, uh, I don't know, pushy relative. Um, and you can just say that uh, this wasn't the year for the uh, baked ham. <laughs> and uh, you know creating some boundaries with respect to that. If you're not in the place where you really want to disclose all of it to this person who you maybe haven't seen all that often, um, establishing the boundaries is a, is a good thing to do. And, um, you know, at the time, you know, if you're sort of, I don't know, inclined to, you know, um, want to divulge, um, that can be really difficult to do, you know, and I don't mean to minimize that in any way, shape, or form. But it's also empowering, and uh, you need that, particularly during during events like this. Yeah, and it might not be a bad idea to, you know, to maybe say, you know what, this year we're going to do a potluck. Everybody can bring a dish. Um we're going to change up traditions a little bit because I think one of the things that you said earlier is really true, which is the importance of self-care. It's not just identity, but it's really looking after you. Very much so, yeah. Being a good friend to yourself in the midst of all of this. What, what suggestions do you have in terms of, you know... During the holidays, particularly, everybody wants to look their best. They want to feel their best. Um, and how, how do you 
do that in the midst of, of cancer treatment. Hmm. Yeah. And, and really try to have your best image um, uh, on the outside as well as on the inside when you might not be feeling it in either. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, on the outside, if you have a sort of trusted friend, whether it's a, a partner or just a dear friend that you've known for a long time, you could ask them to help you out getting, uh, getting dressed up and gussied up for the, you know, holidays. Um, and uh, that could be, uh, you know, potentially a fun thing. It gives the friend a way to contribute, which I'm sure that friend would want. And uh, it gives you a sense of, uh, you know, uh, looking your best, if that's important to you. Um, you know, internally, you know, um, you know, more complicated. Again, that, uh, you know, involves a lot of navigation of who you know yourself to be um, and uh, soliciting the support um, that you need. Uh, again, from, from the people I mentioned, whether it's a partner or a dear friend or, or others who get it. Dr. David Sells is an associate research scientist in psychiatry at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.